Let me begin by saying I have no inducement this morning to be politically correct. I've never liked political correctness, and I'm a personally in a battle against political correctness. I don't want to make a couple of preliminary statements about Mother's Day and women in general. I, I am not a fan personally of much politics. I don't try to take a political stand on many things. Um, I'm not a follower nor an adherent to most of the philosophy of a Joe Biden. But I thought about a month ago when they accused him of inappropriate touching. That was about the stupidest thing I've ever heard in America in the last 20 years. Inappropriate touching. It seems like we can never be satisfied. We've got millions of men in America complaining today because their wives won't touch them. And millions of women in America today complaining because the wrong men are touching them. Why don't we get ourselves straight and get it going right the first time? This is foolishness, political correctness. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting tired of being told by millionaires how poor people live. I don't understand why we have people like Nancy Pelosi living behind a wall telling us we shouldn't build a wall. And I, I just don't understand some of these things. And I am sick of this attitude that's evolving in America that men and women don't like each other and hate each other. Let's be honest. We love each other very much, and without each other, we'd be a miserable bunch of people. Get me get an Amen. You know, we got all these battles going all of my lifetime. We've been fighting against each other. It's either blacks against whites. Now it's poor against rich. It's, a, it's all this fighting. And now we're trying to get the men and women to fight against each other. I want to talk to you this morning the truth about women in the Bible. Because at most of the time in my experience with the world, you don't get a very honest appraisal. You get a lot of political correctness and a lot of bull. I think, I'm sorry, that's not a biblical name, but I mean to communicate. It's just not true what they tell you. For example, I've been told that the Bible and the New Testament, Jewish and Christian people, they were down on women. That's the biggest lie you've ever been told in your life. The truth is Jesus did more to lift up women than any other leader up and probably until the 20th century. He was probably 2,000 years ahead of himself when he recognized women. And I'm going to go to three or four different places in the Bible this morning to talk to you about it. First of all, I want to go to the book of John, and, and, and this is going to be the fourth chapter, the third verse. And I want to talk to you there about a Samaritan woman. Now, I'm sure all of you have heard about Samaria. I won't try to give you a complete lowdown or a rundown on Samaria. But Samaria is a little spot of ground right in between the lower part of Israel, which is referred to as Judea, and the upper part of Israel, which is referred to as Galilee. And that little slot of land in between is Samaria. And it still is today. And it has been for over 2,700 years. But during the time of Jesus, most particularly, there was a tremendous division between the north and the south and what was in the middle. Because the northern Jews and the southern Jews hated the Samaritans who were in the middle. And the Samaritans that were in the middle hated the northern and southern Jews equally as much. And this is the reason that they hated them. Probably around 700, something like that B.C., they had been attacked by an outside force. Israel had been defeated. And as a result of that defeat, the, the people who defeated the Babylonians and others began to take Israeli inhabitants, Israeli citizens, Israeli people, and carry them off to another land and simultaneously bring in people to re-inhabit the land of Israel. That included Judea, but it also included Samaria. And Judea kind of went along with it, but not very well. But Samaria went along with it hook, line, and sinker. And over the course of numbers of years, the Samaritans developed a new religion. 
It was kind of an amalgamation of historical Judaism and some of the religions that were brought from Babylon and other places. They developed their own religion to the point that they even established a temple to go and worship in in direct incidental competition to the temple that the Jews recognized that we now recognize today in Israel as we go to the Wailing Wall. They had a temple there. They built one up in Galilee, or excuse me, up in Samaria, and it was on Mount Gerizim. And that's where they worshiped. And they said their worship there was just as good as it was down in Jerusalem. Well, over the course of several hundred years, eventually the Jews began to come back. And many of you heard the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came back to Israel and his goal and calling from God, he believed, was to rebuild the wall. You can read about that. It's often passages of scripture that we pastors use when we have a building program where he was called to build a wall. Incidentally, we often miss this, but I don't want you to miss it this morning. A group of people came and said, hey, look, we want to help you build this wall. We're here. We're strong. We're men. We can do the task. They said, where are you from? They said, Samaria. They said, go back where you came from. We'd rather not have a wall than have you to help build it, you half-breed hypocrites. That's what they told them. Now, that's a little bit of a Diggs paraphrase, but I figure if Taylor can do it, I can do it. And um, that's what he told them. We don't want you. We're not that desperate. You go back up there and you worship whatever you worship up there in Samaria, because down here in, in Judea and Jerusalem, we worship the true God. They went up there. And from that point on, it got worse. Do you know during the time of Jesus that it was expected? It was not only normal, it was expected. It was almost legally mandated of any Jew that wanted to get from Judea up to Galilee. They had to head, I've got to get my direction straight. I'm always directionally challenged. But anyway, they had to go east, find a high land, travel north, then go back west in order to get to Galilee. They had to do the exact reverse to get down to Jerusalem because God forbid that a Jew would step foot in Samaria. If you were to go in your Bibles to the fourth chapter of the book of John, the third verse, you'll find a statement to this effect in the third and fourth verse that Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Not geographically. That brings up a question. Why does it say he had to? I suggest to you he had to because he knew that's what God his father wanted him to do. And he being God incarnate and knowing everything, he knew he had a job to do and he was going to do it in that wonderful place that we now know as being Sychar. Sychar. There's a camp, a holiness camp in Ohio called Camp Sychar. And it's to commemorate that place. But it was near a very, very holy place to Israel. Incidentally, a holy place that to this day devout Jews will not go to. Jacob's well. They won't go there because they think that's contaminated That well today, they say, is 75 foot deep. During the time of Jesus, it was probably 100 or more feet deep. And therefore, the sediment probably has filtered in down through the years. Jesus made his way to that well. I don't think it's coincidence. I think it's fact. He knew who was going to be there. And who was there? A rabbi? A teacher? A Jewish man? A great man of power and authority? No, 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 no. Apparently, a very troubled woman. Very troubled woman was there at that well, and Jesus came up to her, and he did something was absolutely wrong in every way. He he did not know the meaning of the word political correctness. He broke several rules just like that. Number one, his first rule he broke, you know about it. He broke the rule of being in Samaria. He wasn't supposed to be there. He was a Jew, they were Samaria. He wasn't supposed to be there. Number two, he walked up to a woman. You don't talk to a woman if you're a devout Jew. Number three, you definitely don't speak to a woman if you are a rabbi. That's considered wrong. And you never ever speak to a woman, number four, unless her husband is present. He broke all those rules. Just like that, all of them gone. Then he did something even worse. 
He asked that woman of Samaria, who was not a Jew, not a relative of his, not someone that he had a relationship with in a familial way, he asked her to do something for him. You may not understand how bad that was, but that was like anathema on steroids. You don't ask a woman you don't know to do something, and the only way you would ever ask a woman to do something for you during that time is if her husband was with her. And you would, in essence, I would say to Tom, Tom, would it be okay if Pam does such and so? And if he doesn't say yes, then Pam, don't do it for me because I can't ask her. Jesus broke all the rules. He simply said, would you give me a drink of water? You remember what she said? What? You, a Jewish man, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? Basically said, are you crazy? What do you think you're doing? Jesus didn't respond to a question appropriately. He said, if you knew who I was that just asked you for water, you'd ask me for water. She didn't get it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me suggest to you the probability is very large that we don't have the entirety of the conversation, but we do have enough to catch on. Because the next thing she, he says to her, said, oh, she says to him, you're going to give me water? He said, yes, I can give you water. She said, how are you going to give me water? You can't get down to the bottom of this well. This is a very deep well. Like he didn't know that. He said, ma'am. I know he didn't say ma'am, but I'm a southern boy. I'd said ma'am. Ma'am, I'll give you a water that if you get it, you won't ever have to come to this well again because it'll spring up within you like a living water. Anybody here know what he was talking about? Do you understand he chose a woman to reveal that truth to the first time? That's a marvelous thing. If you've been hearing some junk in political rightness, so I don't give you a man or woman, uh, women in the Bible and Christian women are inferior, you've been sold a pack of lies and you ought to join the Pelosi crowd. It's not true. It's not true. Then Jesus became kind of, I don't know what else they talked about, but then he kind of became personal. He said, but you don't understand. You see what I'm telling you now, what, he, what I just told you about his wife, her wife? He says, by the way, where's your husband? Because if the husband was nearby, which he knew she, that he wasn't, and she knew it, but he wanted her to know he knew it. He said, where's your husband? Because you see, if the husband would have been nearby, all he had to do is say, okay, is it okay with you if I talk to your wife? Oh, she said, I don't have a husband. Now, I don't know what you would have said, but Pastor Evan would probably have said, you're a lying dog. You do have four of them. That's probably what he but Jesus didn't say that. He said, you're right. You've had four husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Would you agree with me she had a few problems? Now, I'm not, man or woman today, either one, if you've been married five times or four times and you're working on your fifth one, <laughs> it's Mother's Day and I want to be kind. <laughs> but you're crazy and loony, it's no question about it. And you know, you used to tell jokes about Zsa, Zsa Gabor, but now it's kind of, but Jesus just said, and this woman was taken, now was she taken back by the fact that he, he knew this? Yes. But he talked to her. You see, she was, she was kind of a low form of life. First of all, you shouldn't talk to a woman. Secondly, you couldn't do it as a rabbi. Number three, her husband wasn't nearby. But, but this big thing here is she's a sinner on steroids. Four men she's been married to, and apparently divorced or killed all four of them. And here she stands. Now, I can't do any more of the story other than to tell you, after that, that woman became an evangelist for Jesus Christ. And I would suggest to you, though I cannot prove it scripturally, you could exegete it for yourself. There's a great probability that when Jesus hung on the cross, that woman may have been standing down the bottom looking at him. But let's go to the 8th chapter. Here we have a story that is politically incorrect on steroids. Again, I shouldn't use that phrase steroids anymore. 
But the Bible says, here's Jesus. He didn't, he never, I don't think Jesus ever went anywhere with, by an accident. Do you agree with me? He, he, knew what, he knew where he was going. He had his barometer straight. And his scripture says, he was standing there and a bunch of religious people came in. Not just religious people, religious leaders. And they, they brought a lady or a woman or a female, however you want to refer to her that meets your criteria, and basically threw her down on the ground and said, Teacher, this woman was caught. Now this is a big statement. I'm not going to elaborate on it, but think about it. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Is that what your Bible says? I pose a question for all of you women and men to answer. Where was the man? You know, seriously. Uh, okay, I can begin if they had come in and said, we heard this woman committed adultery. You might not know who the man was. But the text makes it extremely clear that there was no way they did not know who the man was. But you'll notice these men didn't bring that man. These men brought this woman. And boy, did they not only brought her, they not only threw her down at Jesus' feet, they pronounced judgment. They said the Bible says, or the scripture says, or the teaching is, or the law says. Now I said all of that because that covers all the gamut. Everywhere from the scripture, or you can go through to the teachings of Jewish Mishnah and Midrash and other things. The law says we ought to stone her to death. I have a, a little stone on my desk. I, I've had it for 30 some years. A man brought it to me one time. He got a very pretty stone, painted it gold, wrote on it in red. Let he that is without sin throw the first stone. And he shellacked it and it stayed on my desk ever since. They said, let's stone her to death. Now, I, I could have seen them say, hey, let's let the oldest one throw the first stone so she won't try to dodge it, baby. Or maybe who's got the best arm to could throw the hardest? Because she's going to die, Bubba. Ain't no question about it. She's dead. We've already decided that. Just want this teacher. Now, they didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about the act of adultery. They didn't care about stoning. They cared about trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus, he used it as an opportunity to minister. And who did he use? An adulterous woman. He reached down, the scripture says, and dabbled in this. I don't know what he wrote. I'd like to think he said, I don't believe in political correctness, but that may not be what he wrote. <laughs> but he then, after a moment, the people began to, I'm, I'm sure he was aware, he was God. But even the other there, others there had to be aware because they began to notice, and you know the text, it says, one by one, they began, and it says from the oldest to the youngest. Ladies and gentlemen, I share with you this, not as an arrogant, braggadocious thing, but some things you do learn as you get older. And one of them is when you shut up. Can I get a witness with anybody? And the oldest one that was there said, I ain't about to pick up a stone and say, I'm without sin. And he heads away. And another one said, well, he didn't do it. I guess I've been a hit. And first thing you know, they looked around. Not a soul was left. Jesus looked at this woman. Well, was she guilty? Say yes. Somebody wake you up. Come on, say yes. She's guilty. According to the law, she deserves to be stoned. Jesus didn't change the law. He just gave them an opportunity to carry out the sentence premised upon their own beliefs and their own practice and their own sin. Jesus looked at the woman and asked this marvelous question. Ma'am, where are your accusers? She says, sir, they've all gone. There are none left. Then Jesus said this, then I don't condemn you either. But instead of condemning you, I pronounce grace upon you. And then he gave us this marvelous theological premise. 
One that's been 2,000 years, and you know some of you that are here this morning haven't got it yet. You still don't believe it yet. You believe as a Christian you sin every day in word, thought, and deed. That's not what the Bible teaches. He pronounced that woman free, and he says, I want you to go. Did you read the text of Scripture? What does it say? Sin how much? No more. Did he say, do a little better? Make sure you don't hang around with married men anymore? Did he give her any directions about how, watch out for those rabbis, watch out for the... No, no, he said, go and sin no more. Here's the second. The first time, he used the first woman from Samaria to teach a major truth. God does not concern himself with Samaritans or Jews or men or women because in God's sight we're all souls and he died on the cross for us. The second message he gives to this woman who was an adulterer was a very clear one, and that is you can live in victory over sin. That's a marvelous thing. If you go to the 12th chapter of the same book, again, I'll go to the third verse, and you'll find another very interesting thing. One that I think, a story that every one of you are aware of. And here we have a story where Jesus again with a group of people, and he's with some very close friends. You know, Jesus had a lot of friends. There are times in the scripture that it refers to that several thousand followed him. Um, so he was not just your little small backwoods preacher. He was big time. I, I mean, he was big before Billy Graham. He, he, he was big before anybody else. He gathered big crowds. He had this big crowd that followed with him. And this particular day, he was with a few close friends. I don't know what they were doing, eating, having fellowship, whatever. And in the midst of all this, there was, you know, they, they had this one family. He really liked this one family. I guess he was kind of adopted by the family. There were three members of the family we know of. You know all three of them. We know about Lazarus. We know about Martha. We know about Mary. We remember one time they were having the meal sitting down, you know, and, and, and Jesus was sitting there, and, and Martha was just typical like my grandmother and my, my wife sometime, and maybe like some of you men or women, I presume most of the time women, just scurrying here and there, making sure everything, everybody's got something to eat. My grandmother used to do that. that part of the way you get to be this big is my grandmother used to almost come by and she'd throw more mashed potatoes on my plate. She said, go ahead, you can eat that. You know what? She was right. <laughs> Martha was busy fixing everybody's mashed potatoes, I guess, or lentils or whatever they were having. And, and, you know, she was just getting ticked. You ever done something that you thought was good and you want to do it, glad you're doing it for the Lord, doing it for the church, and you're here helping, doing it, and you look around and you think, hey, where is so-and-so? You know, they ought to be here. And the first thing you know, if you're not careful, the devil will steal your victory. Well, you were doing something for the glory of God, now you're complaining and belly aching about it, and you lost all your victory, and you're a bad spirit, you go home at night half ticked off, and you don't even want to come to church Wednesday night. That's why you didn't show up last Wednesday. I looked for a lot of you, you didn't come. Martha says, Lord, Lord, hey, hey, Jesus, look at Mary over there. Tell her to come here and help me. What does she think she is? Some goody two-shoes? Jesus said to her, Martha, Leave it alone. Mary right now is tending to something far more important. You women have a way of sensing sometimes those far more important things. That's why you say to your husband, you're going with me to the concert for the children Thursday night, Friday night, Wednesday night, are you? Oh, you know, honey, I'm awful busy. But you know that that's more important in the life of your child than anything your husband will do. And if he don't say yes, you put a guilt trip on him and he shows up. We listen to you a lot. You know, women sense things. I, I, I don't always appreciate that. Some women are too sensitive, I think. Some men are too, but especially women. 
Sometimes we learn. I, I, I remember Mother's Day many years ago. Thank God it's many years ago now. But my mom's gone dead, and, and uh, I, I miss her in many ways. But I remember one, one Mother's Day, I forgot to call my mother. And if you haven't done that, let me recommend to you don't. Because that's like, that's first cousin to the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Because I called her, I don't know, the next day maybe. I, I thought, oh, Mom, I'm so sorry I forgot. She was already crying when she answered the phone. I mean, as soon as she knew it was me, she was, ah. before I finished talking to her, I found out that I didn't love her. <laughs> I didn't care. I was insensitive. And on top of it all, she felt like, and she told me, you would be better off if I was dead. And I want to say, I just missed it by 24 hours. Give me a break. But no, no, she's, my mama was sensitive. And Mary ministered to Jesus. One time, he, nobody else knew. Some of you ladies are like this. We men like to say you're weird. But we know better. You're just, you've got that sense. We wish you didn't have it. It makes us look bad. But she said something was up. And the scripture tells us that I imagine they were reclined, we might call it, at the table. And during that time, we know the Middle Eastern culture would be that one would probably have a pillow on, around the table. There'd be a bunch of pillows, not chairs, not stools, just pillows. And you would sit at the table, but not the way we think. They really would lay down with their feet extended behind them, the table here, the elbow on it, and they just kind of, believe it or not, they'd take the food and they'd kind of scoop it from the plate right into their mouth. I kind of like that idea. I mean, I think that's better. It's kind of like eating crab legs all the time. I like that. And fried chicken legs, just kind of this. That's the way they did it. And the text says, you can see me down here a little bit. I'm going to fall off this thing if I don't walk a little bit. That, that Mary came up and she took a bottle of oil that cost... Some have said as much as $20,000. I don't know. But it was like a year's wages. Whose wages? You know, Donald Trump's? I don't know. But the Bible says she took it and she poured it on the feet of Jesus. Listen, let me tell you something if you don't know it already. Anytime you do something good, somebody's going to have something bad to say about it. You cannot please everybody all the time. Jesus didn't. You're not. You do what's right. You do what God tells you to do. And let the rest of the people take a hike. You got it? Just let them take a hike. Tell them they don't like it, they can kiss your foot. And if they don't want to do that, tell them kiss my foot because my foot's been kissed a lot. I don't care. She began to anoint his feet with oil. And the Bible, now this is, might sound, it sounds weird to me. If I'm not, took her hair. You see, the practice of that day, if you didn't know it, is this. Anytime a visitor would come into your home, you would immediately bring a, pile, a little, little thing of water, a basin of water. You would wash their feet and you would have a towel and you'd dry. That would be like you and I coming in. Somebody comes to your house, Jeff, and you say, can I take your jacket? Because their feet would be dirty. They had nothing but sandals on. And you'd wipe their feet very carefully. And who would that be done by? Not by the master. Not by his wife. But by the youngest child or if they had a slave, that slave would come and wash their feet. And here comes Mary, takes this precious, expensive perfume and pours it on his feet, takes her hair and wipes it. And of all the complaining, no-count, good-for-nothing rascals, Judas speaks up. Now, if I'd have been Jesus, if you'd have been Jesus, I'd have smacked him in his mouth. In the name of Jesus, get out of here. Because you know what he did? He said, how dare you waste that money on that perfume so you can pour it on his feet 
Do you know how many poor people we could feed? Sounds like a lot of politicians to me. Do you know how many poor people we could feed? And Jesus said to Judas, number one, the text tells us, the text tells us that Judas was a thief. And it wasn't because he denied Christ. It wasn't because he betrayed Christ. It wasn't because he took 30 pieces of silver. It's because according to the text, he was already dipping out of the treasury. He was the first church thief treasurer. He was already stealing. But Jesus said, Judas, leave her alone. Because she's doing this for my burial. That sensitivity in women, Jesus applauded. Their attention to spiritual matters, Jesus applauded. And ladies, today do not deny your spirituality. Do not deny in many instances whether you like it or your husband likes it or anybody else likes it. We don't have to vote on it. You are the spiritual head of your family because your husband won't take up the lead and do it. And you can spend all your life bellyaching and complaining about it or you can just get on with the job. Sometimes you're better at it than we are. Just do it. Well, that's not the way it should be. No, you shouldn't be short and fat either, but that's the way it is sometimes. (laughs) Just take it and go for it. Because now I want to take you to the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew. And the same thing is recorded in the other Gospels, but in different ways. But it says, on the first day of the week, something very, very important had not happened in the life of Jesus. He had never been embalmed. Now, they didn't embalm, but they did prepare the body when someone died. And Jesus now had been in the grave for a couple of days. And they were aware of that. And they were aware, as you can just imagine without going into great detail, the probability that he began to stink. And so some of the women got together. And it's mentioned, two of these are Mary. Somewhere in the text we have the mention of a word, one Mary Clopas. We don't, who is Mary Clopas? I don't know. I've read everything. Nobody, some people said that that was Jesus' mother who had been remarried and had a second name. I wouldn't go there. I'll let Evan teach on that. But you know who did show up? You know who showed up? Mary Magdalene. Another Mary. Not not the one that was caught in adultery. Not the one up in Samaria. Not the one who, she took her hair and washed his feet. But the one out of whom he had cast several demons or evil spirits. She was there. She had brought spices. Others came with her. I, I would not, it doesn't mention how many came. I wouldn't be surprised that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Mary, the mother of James and John, was there. Maybe Elizabeth, Mary's sister, was there. These women all came with one purpose in mind. They came to anoint his body. The text says on the way there, one of them began to think about it. You know, sometimes people don't plan as well as they should. It has nothing to do with men or women, but sometimes we just don't plan very well. And one of them kind of looked at the other one and said, who's going to move the stone? And I'm sure one of the others said, oh, we'll get that couple of them soldiers to do it. You know, we have our ways. But that wouldn't be politically correct, would it? But they got there. They discovered the stone was gone. And so was the Lord. Have you ever realized before the first people that knew about the resurrection of Jesus Christ was women? Wasn't James. Wasn't Peter. They said, oh, Peter is the, the pillar of the church. Peter's the one who looked at him and said, I swear to God, I never knew him. He looked at a young maiden and denied him. Let us not lift men up to an unjustified level, but let us remember in their distraughtness an angel of God came and said, why are you here? Oh, we've come to anoint his body, they said. He's not here. 
Then they gave him this marvelous message. You've heard it many times since. He has risen. And you go tell the boys that he's gone ahead of them into Galilee. They did. And you know what? The boys didn't believe him. Oh, she must be an emotional woman. They must just have lost it the last couple of days. They can't stand the stress. So they went and checked it out. Guess what they found out? They found out they were not just hearing hearsay. They were hearing the truth. And it came first to a woman. To a woman. Jesus looked down from the cross the day he was crucified. He saw many women there. Undoubtedly, I believe all the women that came on the day of his resurrection were there. I think the two Marys were there. I think Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Elizabeth was probably there. He looked down and he saw his mom. I don't know why. This is one of the reasons many speculate that she never remarried and that Joseph was gone. I don't know. But he looked down at Mary and he said, Mary, mother, mom, that's going to be your son. Pointed to the disciple whom he loved so much. He said, John, take care of my mother like she is your own. So this morning we gather for Mother's Day. And you're not my mother. My mother's dead. But for all of you women here this morning, I want you to know you're precious in the eyes of God. And Jesus Christ revealed himself to women. He taught things that were absolutely life-changing to women. His resurrection was revealed, first of all, to women. And he looked out for his mother. And this Mother's Day, we want you to know you're loved. You appreciated it. And you're just one in a long line of women who have made a difference for Jesus Christ. Don't let the world or anybody else tell you otherwise. I want to make a couple of peripheral statements. Number one, I do not want you to misinterpret a word that I said about inappropriate touching. Biden did that. I don't know what he did. But I don't, that to me... Touch someone in the back and patting them in the back and telling them you appreciate them is not inappropriate touching. But a man, or should I say a male, who would lift his hand to hurt a woman needs a couple of good-sized fellows to talk to him in the name of Jesus. <laughs> there used to be a practice in the South that I kind of liked, I've read about, I've never experienced it. When the men of the community became aware that there was a man in the community who beat his wife or treated her physically in a wrong way, they would go to his home, that's back in the rural areas of the country, where there would be outer houses. You know what I'm talking about? Do I need to, you know, you, okay, I won't go any further. They would open up the door to the outer house, and they would take the door, the animal of a skin, skin of an animal, and they would nail it to the door, and they would put a note with it and say, we hear you touch your wife one more time. Your hide will hang where this one does. I amen that. If you are a man in this church today and you claim to be a Christian and you beat your wife or hurt your wife physically, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be castrated and kicked to the far ends of the earth. You're a poor excuse for a human being. Have I been clear enough? I don't think that's just terrible. Number two, please remember, men and women, we're not each other's enemies. We're here to love each other. And if you've got a wife and you've got a husband, love them and appreciate them. Take advantage of the opportunities and privileges you have. Don't let the world dictate to you how it ought to be in your family. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't sleep in separate bedrooms. 
Don't act like, well, what can I get out of this relationship? We stand to exemplify the church of Jesus Christ. And to all of you this morning who are here, I just want to say we need to stand up and for truth. Not allow the world to lie. I'll give you one final example and I'm finished. I'm almost, I've got one more minute. He's my buddy. He gives me some latitude. For years I was troubled by the fact that they talked about the divorce rate in America. And how it's equal for churches and Christians. And, and then I did some research and homework. And do you know according to recent studies, the divorce rate in America is about 50%. The highest 50%. But the divorce rate for people that are Christians who are married in the church and who know Jesus Christ, it's not succeeding one out of two. It's not two out of three. It's somewhere in the vicinity of 80% of the marriages in America today where the men and, men and women were both got, claim to be born-again Christians and go to church, 80% of their marriages succeed. Don't believe the lies. That's not from me. That's not from Evan. That's not from a bunch of preachers. That's from a sociological survey and teaching and, and uh, what you call, poll that they did across America to decide and find out. You know why it's 50%? Because you've got people in the world that are getting married two and three and four times like that woman Jesus met with. But when everything's said and done, remember, Jesus Christ loves us. And he wants us to be his representatives, just like that woman in Samaria. She went and told everybody. She basically said to him, this boy lowered the boom on me. He knows stuff he's not supposed to know. But he's got to be from God. Come hear what he has to say. Thank you for bringing people this morning. Thank you for coming. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father God, bless these your people. Most especially bless these women today. Let them know that they're loved by their husbands, their children, their families. Lord, if they're not married or if they have had a divorce, don't let that become a negative in their life. Let that, Lord, be a positive for them that they can build on that because they've learned something. Glorify yourself through them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.